Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. You are listening to Girlfriend It Radio with Patty Wyatt, and Lisa Jernigan has been in Israel as she is working on literally solving world peace. And so I sent her an email the other day asking her which pattern um, I should choose for my new kitchen chairs and told her to stop doing significant things. She needs to pay attention to my, of course, really uh, strong first world issues here. They're by <laughs> far way more important. Um, so... Um, uh, she, of course, didn't really see it that way. So you can pray for her as she is doing her travels. But today we have a great show for you. And we have well-known author and speaker, Cynthia Rukti. And Cynthia tells stories hemmed in hope through her novels, nonfiction books, articles, and devotionals. As well as she's been drawing all this from 33 years of on-air radio ministry. So welcome, Cynthia, to our show today. Thank you so much. This is just such a joy. Well, I'm excited, first of all, to talk about your new book that you just um, released. And uh, before you get into a little bit more about the characters in your book, tell us uh, some great, fantastic uh, things about yourself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, I ran out of ideas already. (laughs) show has just begun, and all the fantastic is gone. Um, I'm a wife and a mom. I have three kids and five adorable grandkids, and I have one of the one of the um, greatest joys is that they all live 15 minutes away from me, and I know that's a huge blessing. Not everybody can say that, but I get to see them um, quite often, and um, the five grandkids all go to the same church that we do, so every Sunday morning I'm attacked by these adorables who come and um, give us the best hugs and kisses. I live out in the middle of central Wisconsin, kind of between cranberry bogs, and uh, dairy farms are around us a little bit, and um, just a, a, it's a quiet, beautiful, quiet spot to be, but it is cold, so we be a hearty people here. We are just getting past our winter and into a little bit of spring, but my my life path has been a little different than than um, some other authors. I've I had this experience working in Christian radio for thirty three years, but that's not how I started out, and I think that's an encouragement for a lot of people because we. Oftentimes, the path that our life takes isn't at all what we first envision. And rather than being disappointed by that, if we're in it for the ride where God is taking us, it's going to be um, it's going to be a wild ride. And I I trained to work in the chemistry laboratory, and um, then retired from that after seven years, so I could stay home with my kids when they were young, and um, that was wonderful. Except putting together these fabulous birthday parties and and changing diapers and and that sort of thing and, and making all our homemade clothes was not all the mental stimulation I needed. So I 
took some correspondence courses in creative writing, and in a way that would take four hours to tell, all of a sudden, here was this radio broadcast that eventually worked into 48 uh, stations across the country, and we were... Uh, privileged to do that for 33 years, and now that same kind of hemmed in hope storytelling and devotional thoughts are working into the books that I write. Okay, I love that story. You literally went from a chemistry lab to creative writing to... (laughs) It's a natural leap. Don't you think that's a natural leap? (laughs) Yes, of course. I can see how you went, you know, from analytical to creativity. It's it's definitely... (laughs) That is is so interesting. You know, I just finished a book. So whenever I finish a book, I start talking about it nonstop. But it's called Scary Close by Donald Miller. Are you familiar Mm -hmm. with him at all? I am. I haven't read the book, but I have. um, But I'm familiar with his work. His work. Yeah. He uh, has a quote where it says, the reality is people are impressed with all kinds of things, intelligence, power, money, charm, talent, and so on. But the ones we tend to stay in love with are in the long run, the ones who do a decent job loving us back. And and I love what you said, just the path of going through all of this. And it can be um, discouraging for people because we get so caught up in all these impressive things that, that we do. And it really comes down to the relationships is the the final one where mm. so just hearing your story and yet seeing even the the book that you're releasing um where it does it all comes down to that the relationships because that's so true both our relationships with one another in the kind of a community sense and our relationships with those that are closest to us in our homes and then ultimately then our relationship with with God Mm. Well, and you um, talk about one of your greatest joys is you help other writers grow in their craft. And I love that. You're not just hoarding this gift. You're letting God flow through you and, and benefiting, you know, passing that baton. And sometimes that's hard to do because it's time consuming, passing the baton on to others. Because you, as you're helping them and coming up with these great ideas and helping them write, you're like, wait. That would have been a really good... (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know what's so interesting about that, Patty, is that in the beginning, usually young writers are so fearful that their idea is going to be taken by somebody else or their their thought is going to be, um, it, it won't be available to them anymore if they talk about it with someone else. They're even afraid to show their work to someone in a critique setting, which is so important because that's where we really learn, are we communicating what in our mind seems to work perfectly well or what we see on the page seems to work well? How is it resonating with readers or with someone who comes into a cold? But the truth of it is the way we have been created is so unique that we can there can be 10 or 12 of us who would all take the same topic, the same subject, even the same uh, three characters or the same setting, and our stories would all turn out differently because of what we bring to the table personally, because of what our own personal histories have been. So, But to get back to your original point, oh, yes, the, the concept of, of um, helping others to grow in the craft of writing is, is such a, it's a passion for me, partly because I understand the power of story because of the impact it's had on my life. 
And when I talk about story, I mean whether that's nonfiction or fiction, because in in writing nonfiction, the most the most high impact portions of nonfiction are where the truth is presented in story form because the stories are what stay with us. I know you you found that to be true. I'm sure in your own. In your own life, in your own situation. In fact, just having uh, Donald Miller write the write the sentence that he did that stuck with you, that's what we're trying to do all the time, is finding those one-liners or those principles or those word pictures that stick with us that are going to help form and shape not only our thinking but the paths that we take. So it's a great joy to be able to pour into other people's lives. Sometimes that's in a writer's conference setting. Sometimes it's one-on-one. Infrequently, it's in a real formal way. I don't often take on a mentor, young author that I walk through day by day by day with, but it will often be instead in little pockets of time where I'm able to take a look at a first page and say what's working or what's not working or look at a synopsis and spend a couple days working with someone to, to help them hone, hone that synopsis so it really says what they want to say in their voice, through their voice, not, not my own. Um, and so anyway, that's one of the, one of the ways that um, I believe that what I'm, what I'm doing in the writing that I'm doing has so many layers to it. It's like just about anything, and I know I've spent a lot of time talking about this, but it's just like just about anything that in our parenting, if we're if we're doing something that helps other parents be better parents, then there then there's a double blessing in that. If we're training little ones to become good parents themselves, or to become good husbands and wives themselves, then there's a, a double or a triple blessing in that and it goes on and on well already what you've said has been so encouraging i think to listeners i know it's encouraging to me when you're when you're talking about just having that support so many times um we're writing something or we're doing something and i feel like when you're alone doing it it takes Mm. you twice as long because all you need is someone to come along and go no that's good like stay with that because we we write something or we do – I know for me, I, I'm a corporate trainer, and as I'm putting mm-hmm. things together, ideas together, I'll go back the next day and go, ah, they don't need to know this, and you just mm. keep slicing away. But sometimes it just – that one person that comes along and says, oh, like, like you said, that one idea that you're trying to move people from here to there, be mm-hmm. it in one sentence, be it in a um, – just a loving way that they're going to hear it and see how God is loving them. That can be a, a transformational, you know, aspect in their life. And I, I know for me, I, I never really saw myself as a perfectionist, but I'm, I'm realizing as I get older, uh, you, you have a lot that you filed in your brain. And so you don't think it's new. So you, you keep looking at it going, I'm not saying anything new. And like you said, but it's your story. It's the power in your story to tell. And uh, my husband always says, you know, there's a gas station at every corner. It all depends on what path you're going down that you're going to go to that gas station. And that's so true with our ideas. There's all these ideas and you have a tendency to think, Oh, this idea isn't new or fresh or, but it's tweaked 
in your story to make an impact and how the Holy Spirit uses that. So that I, I think that was such a great um, picture that you, you painted there. Well, we just have 30 seconds, and we're going to be taking a commercial break. And I, I know in your book you, you also talk about who we are and whose we are because of who God is. And I, I want to touch a, a little bit more on that when we come back, so don't go away. We will be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Now that summer is almost here, it's a perfect time to change up your workout routine. For many of us, summer means new schedules for our children and for us. No matter where you live, this new season will bring new opportunities for you, if you look for them. If you do most of your exercising outside, you may have to adjust your exercise time due to the heat. Maybe you will need to get up earlier to get your workout in when it's not so hot. Or maybe where you live, summer means that it's finally warm enough to exercise outside. You may have had to exercise indoors for months because of the cold, but now you're able to take your workout outdoors. Whatever your situation is, find new activities to add to your routine. Swim laps or take a water aerobics class. Join a biking group or running club and get outdoors. Take advantage of this new season and rev up your workout. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we've been chatting with Cynthia Recti. Cynthia tells stories hemmed in hope through her novels, nonfiction books, articles, and devotionals. And Cynthia, we just went on to a commercial break, and uh, we were talking about having that support group. You help other writers and just having their back and helping them with their ideas. And I love what you said, uh, just being able to see it from your story and not feel like, oh, you know, I, I can't do this um, or this theme. I don't want anybody to steal my theme. We have a tendency to do that. Like it's 
I, I, I laugh, you know, because you look at scripture where nothing new is under the sun. Is it, Did I say that right? Nothing mm-hmm. new. There's nothing new under the sun, true. Yes. And that, you always go back to that. But yet I gobble up books. I'm an avid reader and I love a story. And you can go, oh, yeah, but this is similar to that story. It never really is. Because it always has those different characters that come alive. So it is interesting as authors or um, even, you know, when you're giving a message where you think, oh, I don't want someone to take that idea. And and they're all God's ideas. So I, I feel like the more we, we hoard our gifts and we are, you know, we, I, I used to read my kids a book when they were growing up and it was all mine, says Bunny. Every time you get a toy, he wouldn't share it. He wouldn't play with it. And so in our household, we always say that all mine, says Bunny, <laughs> Sherry. And don't you find that, that the more you're just open hands, open arms, just mm. giving the gifts, it just multiplies. There, there's so much truth to that. I, there, there's a, a level of vulnerability that it, until we get to that level, we're not going to be writing authentically. And I know sometimes that can seem like a catchword, but it really is what what puts the life into the books or the articles that we're writing and the stories that we're telling one another, the life we're living among one another and what, what that accomplishes in community. Um, the Part of, part of why I say that is because there are times when we may be writing something that seems like it's just words on paper, and then it's when we start to get real with ourselves, and it may be very hard, and get, get real with our readers, that that's when it becomes something that's going to be meaningful to them. That's also the best place where God can work because he's, he's kind of not into the fake thing. He, he is looking for the reality. He, anything that smacks of falsehood or masks or fakeness, he was so opposed to that throughout his word. And that there's a very good reason for that. I think I trace back to that idea that you had too about, uh, that you were expounding on about that, that everybody comes at it from their own angle. Why is it that God took 66 books to tell his story? And even that isn't the end of it. He could have encapsulated it all into one sentence or one phrase. And we look at John 3.16 and we think that really tells basically the entire story of his word. But instead, he knew that some of us would relate best to poetry, and some of us would relate best to his story told through the lives of people who went through very tough difficulties and then emerged from that either victorious or because they didn't follow what God's plan was, everything fell apart. He knew that some others would, would relate most um, most uh, one-on-one to the historical recounting of the the genealogy part. I mean, not just the genealogies of so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, but just to see that there was a historical pattern from the beginning to the end. And others would relate more to that those very practical tips for daily living. So he intentionally made his word full of all of that and these beautiful word pictures and these the symbolism, but also the reality of seeing here's a person or a people who followed God's plan and things were still hard. 
when they responded either positively or negatively to what God instructed them to do, there was a completely different outcome. And in essence, isn't that what we're doing every time we write a novel or every time we write a nonfiction book as well? We're telling that same story but in a different way, just like God did, because we each relate to it differently. Our personalities come into it. Some of us connect with our God better through nature than we do through what we read with our eyes. Some of us are audio learners, so those words that sound, that have sound impact to them are the ones that resonate with us. That's what makes us all so fascinating, but it's also what helps us to understand our God a little better, that we, when we see that he, he set that up, because he knew exactly what we would be like and exactly the impact that story would have on us told in a way that we would relate to, all of a sudden we're thinking, God, you are so personal. Yes, you are holy, and yes, you are majestic, and yes, you are sovereign, but you are so personal that you would know that I would identify with this particular story, and that would be life-changing to me. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to do, too, in the, in the assignments that God gives me, things like the, this latest book, too. Well, yeah, speaking of your latest book, you use music um, in telling your story. Just And, and I love that, the way you painted uh, Scripture and the Bible and uh, meeting all of our temperaments. And so mm. tell us about the characters that, that you created, because you usually um, know the people. It, you kind of created these characters out of the, the people that you know. And um, a little bit more about how you use music and song to tell the story. This is a story that was probably birthed deep, deep, deep inside of me a long time ago. The, the book is called Song of Silence. And the basic premise of it is that there's a music educator who loses her job. Her job was far more than just employment. It was really a passion for her as a music educator. She had raised her children, and her father had actually established that music program in this small school. She took over when he passed away, so it's her father's program, that legacy that she's carrying on with. And as sometimes happens, the school board in this small town made the tough decision that uh, the budget was just not going to cover what they needed it to, and because of the the financial crisis that that school was facing, they eliminated the music and the art programs from that school. And for many of us, all of, we instantly have this twinge in our heart of, oh, <laughs> when we think about what that would be like to have a school that no longer offers music and art because we understand the value of that in a full, rounded, well-rounded education and helping us to grow into a in, in, in character as well as into adulthood. But they're in their particular situation, her husband, Lucy's husband, Charlie, had retired early with the goal of doing nothing with the rest of his life. That was his life goal. And he had really never had anything that he could call a passion. So now when her passion is ripped away from her, all of a sudden she and her husband, whom she dearly loves, 
are in this place of not looking at the the current crisis from from the same viewpoint at all, and it becomes a threat to their relationship. How are they going to maneuver through this new phase of life? And then, as in all good novels, then there's another conflict, and then another one, and another one that comes in. And I did use those musical influences and song and silence and that especially the one concept that Lucy had always told her students that when we see a rest on the page of music, on the sheet of music, we don't just stop playing. That's not a that's not emptiness. A rest doesn't mean emptiness. We play the rests with as much intensity as we play the notes. We just play intentional silence. And my um my own relationship with that concept came from my father, who was a music educator. That was one of his favorite phrases. And it put such a strong drive within me to understand that on a much broader level than just a phrase for music class or for band or or chorus. So now I see that in life. And Lucy, as a character, begins to see that in in her life, too. What What is God doing with this? imposed rest with this imposed silence in her life. It's not just one thing that is going to help to bring her back to a place where she reclaims her song, but many things along the way, as it often is for us. Mm, wow. I I love that. It, it truly is amazing how much music is a part of just looking at, like you said, the notes or the, the rest signs to be able to um, see how that relates to us in life. I This this is just totally a side note, but um, I, I went there when you were talking about that because I love that. What is God doing with the silence, this rest? It made me also think of, I'm, I'm not a musician, but I grew up in a, a home of, my sister was, is a fabulous musician, and um, she was talking about muscle memory memory the other day. And it's the same thing of how we do things just out of habit. And, uh, I was thinking about that with the rest and with, she was sharing a story last weekend. She played, um, the saxophone for the Diamondbacks game. They were honoring Jackie Robinson. And as she hits, you know, going up to hit that really high note, she sees herself on the jumbotron. And when you're playing the saxophone, how you just want to tighten the grip on the on the reed and you don't want to breathe anymore. And how in life, you know, we do that where all of a sudden we're just staring and you realize people are focusing on you and you can't breathe. You want to go into that fetal position. You know, you're just paralyzed. But how she was able to breathe and how she was able just that muscle memory takes over and mm. she, you know, she got through it, but how your mind is playing all those games. If you mess up right now, this is recorded. People can hear it over and over and over again. You're on the jumbotron. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just, you know, of course we had a really good laugh about all the things that, that could have happened, um, in that situation. But uh, music is just amazing. And um, with that note, we are going into a commercial break and we'll come right back and continue this fabulous conversation.
This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. With our busy lives, it's so easy to skip breakfast. For me, breakfast is my least favorite meal of the day. And if I didn't know better, I would omit it, but I don't. Eat This, Not That reports that studies show that people who take time for a morning meal consume fewer calories over the course of the day, have stronger cognitive skills, and are 30% less likely to be overweight or obese. On top of that, people who skip breakfast are more likely to drink alcohol and smoke, and they're less likely to exercise. The key is to choose a breakfast that works for you and not against you. Select low-fat yogurt, oatmeal, whole-grain cereal with skim milk, or a fresh apple with almond butter. Choose a healthy breakfast and don't forget to exercise. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We have been having a great conversation with author Cynthia Rutke. And Cynthia, we were just sharing, um, actually you were sharing what what God does with those rest and the, and the silence and just comparing uh, music and putting uh, music in your storyline. And you have a great line about holding on to hope that I would love for you to share with our listeners. It's really kind of where the book takes us at the end as we've walked with Lucy and Charlie and their their children and the other characters in the book of uh, when we walk with that journey um, on the journey that they're walking in throughout these disappointments and, and one challenge after another. It's that concept that Ultimately, the message is we need to hold on to hope even when life's song is silenced, even when those unexpected and unwelcomed pauses interrupt the music. And that can be with health needs or financial needs or a, or a disappointment in a relationship or when the rug is completely pulled out from underneath us. It doesn't matter what it is that interrupts that flow of music. And we're using music metaphorically in this, in this sense. But the, the concept is and the, the message I believe that God is trying to get through to us is to, to hold on to hope even during those pauses or those enforced times of rest. And we will not only get through it, but we will, as Lucy did, learn so much. God tells us that our souls heal best 
in the quiet of stilled waters. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we come to that point of rest and we think we have to manufacture something, do something, fix something, figure this out, uh, create the answers for ourselves. And he's instead telling us, will you just sit and listen to the silence for a minute? Because I can speak best and you will heal best in that silence. Mm. That's not necessarily an easy thing for all of us <laughs> to adapt to. I I have a horrible time just being still and and resting. And I as a matter of fact, I had my brother the other day ask me, we do a sibling retreat with my brothers and sisters and he said, "What would it look like if you could just take your computer and not bring it anywhere? Just you can't get on it." I was, I was like, "Why?" My stomach Why? is tightening. Yes. You say that. I was like, I, that wouldn't be fun to me, though. That wouldn't. <laughs> I don't even understand why you would ask that. But <laughs> it, it is, you know, how did we get along all those years without technology? With you know, now it, it would stress me out because if I was without it for a week, then all you can think about is all the emails you have to respond. To. When you got it back, you would just be piled up. Like I'd rather, you know, do it here and there and answer and respond to people rather than knowing it's just piling up. But it's really a good question and it's a great, a great challenge. And and I love that, you know, with your song of silence about really seeing the impact of silence and that, that rest. Okay. So speaking of that, I have a question. Our, our postcard that went out was talking about adulting and how, um, what does that look like when we, when we have to be an adult? And when you, you said that about, you know, we get so busy in life. I I'm wondering, is that our generation more or do you feel like the millennials are still on that path or do they know when to sit and, and rest? I, I just had a group of interns that um, are trying to get into you know, becoming pastors and, and different positions in ministry. And I was saying to them, you know, we went on this hike and I said, this is just as significant doing ministry is having something that you're passionate about, being able, able to like holistically, um, live life where you can, you know, you're, you're getting that your cup filled, your, your soul, your emotions, your physical, every aspect. Cause so many times we just, we dive in and we don't realize all of the, the, you know, the holistic uh, approach to everything of who we are is that being filled. And it's really easy to get burned out in ministry. So I'm, I'm curious because you had grown children that moved home again because mm-hmm. of life changes. And, and we're seeing that more and more. I have two that are just graduating from college and they're both back from college and then you go, Oh yeah, what's next here? So I, there was a lot of questions in that, but my biggest one, are you, are you seeing that they are able to rest more or do you think they're, they're just as bad as us? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. And it opens up a whole wonderful discussion on that, that concept of that word adulting and how in some ways we, we do see a lot of people, young people who are coming up who are kind of resistant to that concept. They have a distaste for the word adulting. And, 
and the longer I think about it, the more I look at that and I see, well, it's, it's not necessarily based off of an idea of I don't want to do anything <laughs> or I don't want to work, but there are other factors engaged in it. And I'm, I'm thinking, for one thing, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, adulting is hard. <laughs> we know that it's hard. <laughs> but, but so is atrophying. If we shrivel, we're going to lose all our muscle tone for work and service. That's hard too. If we, um, if we become self-serving only, then we have missed the point of what God said in his word, which is, is, um, has to be our foundational core value of where we start with everything. But if we, if our generation or the couple generations even before the millennials, if we've led the, the new generation to believe that maturing is equal to stress, then that's on us. Because maturing is supposed to be equal to wisdom and godliness or walking a path that, whether it's easy or challenging, it honors God and it serves others. So there's a lot, there's a lot tied up within this. When we, when we think about, uh, what, if we, if we completely resisted the idea of adulting and we just backed off of that, concept and and maturing seemed like the enemy instead of a friend to us we could trace that back even farther and think about a toddler who's refusing to learn how to walk he the toddler might say internally i don't wanna it's too hard oh do i have to do this again the last time i tried i fell on my backside but but that's if they never do learn how to walk then they are kept from every other good thing that walking will enable them to do. So I don't know how you feel about that, but there's that there's that idea that adulting also has that same element with it. Is it going to be easy? N- no, but it will enable us to do the next thing and the next thing and the next. If we as a as a previous generation have made it seem like all heavy responsibility, if we have whined about the hard work it is or all the sacrifices we're making, then we have um, helped to feed that idea that adulting isn't such a cool thing, when in reality it is part of what God designed for us to step into to lead us to the next thing and the next and enable us to be who he ultimately designed us to be, to fulfill our identity that he created for us. Mm. Yeah, I loved adulting. Like, I could not wait to get out of the house, and I could not (laughs) wait to get my own apartment and to pay my own bills, as crazy as that sounds. Mm -hmm. So uh, I... I'm trying to go back into that phase of life. And I, I remember it so clearly of loving every single second of, you know, about it. Maybe that's because I was the baby of six kids. So it was so exciting to not have, you know, 5,000 people telling me what to do. <laughs> I do know I was at the dentist just uh, last month and I realized I, you know, I had like a $340 bill and I said, where did this come from? And apparently when my husband switched jobs, insurance changed. And I do remember that, th- that feeling of, wait, my mom didn't tell me I had to like double check my insurance. to make sure. <laughs> I had, and that was, I walked away going, who teaches you this stuff? How do you know to go from, you know, 
place to place that you're supposed to make sure your insurance covers everything when I've been, you know, when I've had this insurance for the last decade. So that, those are the things that I get, you know, with the adulting. And it's just funny that it's truly become a verb in the way Mm. that they're talking. And I, I also feel that uh, and I and I love what you were saying, just bringing scripture into it. That this is the way we're we're supposed to go. I, I know I've heard so many people go, I can't wait to retire. And you go, okay, I get maybe retiring from this part of your career, but mm-hmm. you don't ever see retirement talked about in scripture. I mean, we are we've kind of been created to to do this, like you said, or. It, it, it'll all fall away. I mean, I, I think that's when you become a bitter person when you're sitting around bored and you're not, um, you know, helping others and, and maybe you're retiring to serve in ministry or serve others or go out there and serve in your community. Um, but it, it's interesting that I look at adulting and almost see that, yeah, it's become a dirty word. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be. Uh, but, there's a both the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes are in God's word, and one of them tells us that laziness can lead to all kinds of distresses, and the other one tells us that there's a time for everything, which means that that both things are true that there's a time for rest and there's a time for work, and if we are singularly pursuing either one or the other only then we're going to run into trouble, and we're going to have as a less fulfilling life than we would. God built within the heart of us that work and satisfying work would be part of where we get our joy in life. It's mm. an interesting topic, isn't it? It is such an interesting uh, topic. And once again, I'm going to throw a quote out there that I I read recently. I'm perfectly willing to be perfectly human. And I think with that, you know, God knows that we, we are, he created us. And you hear so many times, you know, when, when I am weak, he is strong, but we were also created in his image and we, we don't have to be you know, the, the feelings of inadequacy all the time. We, we need to get beyond that and go, I can do this. I, I can adult up and, and make life happen. And it's fine to go into your little, you know, blanket fort, but you also can come out and uh, see the, the, the path that God has for you. So with that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. 
Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to Fitness Magazine, the majority of us are getting enough protein. Most nutritionists agree that active women need about half a gram per pound a day, or approximately 65 grams for a 130-pound woman. The USDA reports that most of us, even vegetarians, are eating 69 grams of protein daily, so we are good. If you are as active as recommended and exercise for more than an hour, five or more days a week, you should increase your protein intake to 0.75 grams per pound. Eating protein within 30 to 45 minutes after you work out rebuilds and repairs the micro tears in muscle tissue that occurs when you exercise. Taking in protein right after you work out will make you feel less sore the next day and increases your lean muscle mass. I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We've been chatting with Cynthia Rucky, and she has her latest book, Song of Silence, that we're going to going to be discussing here. And I just have to go back, Cynthia. I, I, I be, having my own kids be millennials. I, I don't want anybody to think we're beating them up by any means. I think right. adulting is um, that is just a fabulous. You know, you see hashtag adulting all the time, and I think it's just a fun uh, verb that they've created and. I all the time feel like I'm 12 years old, and especially with my sense of humor. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of times where I think I don't want to be an adult, but but I also love where God has me in this season of life, and I know the best is yet to come. And I think that's just our bottom line is is saying, you know, it's okay to go buy the adult coloring book. Um mm-hmm. But but there's so many fabulous things that God has uh, for you and, and this path that he places in front of you in joining him. And I, I have a question for you going back to Song of Silence. When you, um, as you're writing this, another thing that I've noticed that in this culture is that we focus so much on youth. It's almost... As if, you know, once you hit 45 to 50, you might as well drop off the face of the earth. And they (laughs) say with marketing, they don't even try to market to 50-year-olds and plus because they're so set in their ways. We're not going to change what they're going to purchase. Um, I know, you know, you you see the movies, the TV shows. It's it's all marketed to the younger. And I I love it in your, your book, Song of Silence, that... You chose to write about a couple who has been married for 30 years. And so many times, you know, you just readers want this young love and this passion. And I I think that was very risky and and really cool that you went that route. So what were you thinking when you (laughs) built these characters? That's that's every author's dream is to have the interviewer say, what were you thinking? <laughs> but I know exactly what you mean because it was a risky move. And, and it was intentional on my part. And partly it had to be the storyline itself dictated that they had to be at that stage in life. But the, the more I 
dug into it, and the deeper I got into creating this story, the more I realized that there was a, a strong value in this, not only because it's the phase that I'm in right now myself. My husband is semi-retired. He's home all the time, and I work from home. And so we're having to, every day, figure out what that dance looks like at this stage in our lives. When we've been married for decades, we love each other dearly. We have completely different attitudes about almost everything in life, different (laughs) perspectives, and yet still it works in, in our marriage, and we are completely devoted and committed to one another. How does that work? Because we don't often see that played out in the pages of a novel. Within the story also is a story of young love because of the of the um, son of the main characters, Lucy and Charlie. And, his, and the young love aspect is there to show they're starting out in just the very basics of trying to negotiate and navigate the waters of their relationship. But I think about the idea that oftentimes we spend a a great deal of time and investment on the concept of having those who are about to be married go through premarital counseling so they can figure out how do they each feel about children and finances and who's going to take care of this responsibility within the relationship and who's going to take care of that one, how will their personalities dovetail, how will their strengths and their weaknesses play against one another or work together with one another in, in their relationship as young marrieds. Nobody gives us a pre-retirement counseling session like that. They may talk about the financial aspects of being ready for retirement, but they don't tell us that this is a season of life in which some of the very same challenges that face a newly married couple are going to face this couple that may have been married for many decades. And sadly, There are people who reach that stage of life and their marriage relationship disintegrates. They may still stay together, but they're just staying together in name only. And so it was fascinating to me to be able to explore that and what that, what that's like. I was privileged to give the devotional for a bridal shower for a niece of mine just a few, few weeks ago. And I used some of the concepts from Song of Silence for her because it was that idea that we make vows, um, during the wedding. What do those vows look like 30 years and 40 years later? They don't, they may not be as, um, as crinkly new as they were, as crisp as they were in those early days of the relationship, but they have endured a lifetime worth of challenges to those vows. And when we have weathered that, and when we learn how to weather crises, respecting one another, and loving each other through it, there's a, a depth of richness to that that I think can inform not only those of us who are here right now, but those who are in that stage right now, but it can inform those who are in the beginning stages of the relationship to realize that it's not just um, it's not just that we should be putting away $20 a month right now in our 20s so that when we reach retirement age, we have some, some finances there. It's that we need to be investing right now in our relationship for those days 20 or 30 or 40 years from now, and life doesn't look like it does right now. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, it's a beautiful story and people need to run and get this book. And I, I think you were spot on when you're saying to get through all of this, you know, we say our vows and we don't really know what life looks like after planning the wedding. And <laughs> I am seeing it. I know I, when I went to my high school re- reunion, uh, people are being married 20 years and now they're getting a divorce rather than realizing you get past this. And just like you said, I I love the way you painted the picture of just how rich that love is that commitment when you've gone through the, the crises and the tragedies and all the things that life, you know, throws your way. And the, the love that's there is so over and beyond what you could ever imagine as when you first started. And the same thing, my, my husband and I, I met him when I was 13 years old. And I, I look at him now and just you can't even describe the love. You can't put it into words because of what you've been able to watch each other go through and just the changes. And I think that the younger, um, you know, newlyweds, I think they crave that they want to be around those and they, it, it, they're few and far between that they can have, um, those couples to mentor them. I know I, I'm with, um, a group of high school girls, senior girls, and, they really want to be around you. And I keep thinking, ah, I need to get out of doing youth. I need to, <laughs> you know, go somewhere else, do, you know, women's. And, and yet I, you, you see that, that they want, they want to text you. I had one yesterday. They're sending me pictures of the tattoo that they just got on their 18th birthday. And then I scold mm. them and say, no, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> <laughs> They really, they crave that. They want that. So I, I just think it's awesome that you um, put that in your book so people can see this is what it can look like. This is the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And it's for the long haul. We say forever when we're standing at the altar. But what does forever look like um, years Later, and what does forever look like when when you're when the biggest threat to your relationship comes thirty years down the road? All of those things kind of come in in part of the storytelling, but also because there's also the young couple in the book too. I'm find I was finding myself as I was writing it that the that the couple that had been committed to one another and then found themselves in this new phase of life that they were going to have to figure out how to deal with we were watching the young love and those in young love were watching those who had walked through many years and they were learning from each other and i believe that's that's the beauty part of it we can get so um trapped in our immediate the immediate phase that we're in right now and forget that there was a phase that came before and that there's a, a phase that's coming after. And when we innate, allow ourselves to just take a look, stop and take a look at what am I saying to my husband today or how are we handling our relationship today? How is that going to affect five years from now? Am I going to look back at those words I just said to him and regret what they were, even if I don't regret them already this afternoon? Or am I investing in that for the long haul relationship? Am I willing to 
hang in there and stick it out while we work through these crises. Now, obviously, there are those relationships that where it's it's um, it's it's a, a disaster brewing like a volcano, and that's an entirely different story we're talking about. But here and through this story, one of the themes in in Song of Silence is that idea of love for the long haul, as well as when it's fresh and when it's new. Mm. Well, I you can get your book Song of Silence on Amazon. You can also go to a website, Cynthia. Why don't you tell us some other places that you can find Song of Silence? My own website is CynthiaRookdy.com, and it has some some purchase uh, buttons, some buy buttons where you can. Um, follow through to find out where there's a store near you where you can purchase the the book and I have to spell my name because it's so unusual. Cynthia is spelled the traditional way C Y N T H I A. Rukti is R U C H T I dot com or they can check hemmedinhope.com because my tagline is I can't unravel. I'm hemmed in hope. Mm. And that's such a great tip to leave our listeners with. And, and also, as you're dealing with those relationships, I think it's so significant, even over and beyond your spouse, to ask yourself, what am I saying? How am I investing in this relationship? And it goes back to that rest that you're talking about. This is the part where you need to rest and tell your brain, I need to think differently rather than saying something that's going to scar someone. And I have to end on one more quote from Donald Miller. Be encouraged. Your heart is writing a poem on the world, and it's being turned into a thousand songs. So we thank you for listening to us today. Thank you so much, Cynthia, for taking your time and being with us. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. It was my joy. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.